Today's story takes place off the coast of Somalia, a country in Africa. If you look at Africa on a map, you'll see Somalia on the east coast, right on the water of the Indian Ocean. In fact, of all the countries in Africa, Somalia is the one with the longest coastline. And for the Americans listening, to give you an idea how big it is, Somalia is almost the same size as the U.S. state of Texas. But here's the thing about Somalia. It's considered to be one of the poorest countries in the world. I mean, here in Florida, we have homeless people. Some of you know I work with a group here to help the homeless population get the things they need. But in Somalia, literally half of the people in that country don't have a home or any kind of permanent residence. This means there are millions of people who are desperate and hungry and they're vulnerable to abuse. And just on the north side of Somalia is the Gulf of Aden. This is a very popular water route for large ships carrying lots of cargo, headed either to or from the Suez Canal. In fact, each year there are about 20,000 of these ships passing by. That's more than 50 ships every single day. So there's a certain sector of the Somali population who sees all of this valuable cargo going by each day and they see an opportunity to make money. These are modern-day pirates. They see many of these big ships as easy targets. I mean, if there's a large cargo ship carrying manufactured goods, they just want to get from point A to point B. They typically aren't equipped to fight off or defend their ship from being hijacked and held for ransom. But today we're going to hear a story from Robert. There was a time he was on one of those big ships, off the coast of Somalia. The pirates saw it as easy money. What they didn't see was that Robert's ship, the one being attacked, was a warship in the U.S. Navy. Real people in unreal situations. There is a man standing in front of me in my bedroom. My friend has been shot. I'm in the literally inside the river and I'm inside my car. He had told me multiple times that he was going to set himself on fire. If you say my name or try to look at me, I'm going to kill you. And he was just sobbing. He said, Mom, Mom, tell me you're going to be okay. And I jumped on the hood of the car and I held on. And I looked into the garage and he was hanging from the rafters. I had somebody standing on my neck. He's better to me dead. I want him dead. I'm Scott Johnson, and this is What Was That Like? Hey, it's Scott, and guess what? You're about to hear an ad, and that's both good and bad. It's good because ads are what make it possible for me to keep bringing you these episodes, and it's bad because, well, maybe you don't like listening to ads, and I get that. And the good news is, you don't have to. When you sign up to support the show, you get every single episode without any ads. Plus, you get all the bonus episodes. Yeah, did you know there are actually bonus episodes? And you can try it all for free just to see what it's like. If you're on an iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast and at the top, click on Try Free and you're in. On Android, just go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus and try it out completely free. Once you've had the ad-free experience, you'll see why hundreds of other listeners are already doing it. But for now, here's another ad, and then on with today's episode. Before we get into the action part of the story, I want to kind of set this up so people have a good picture of of what's going on here. You are on a Navy ship called the USS Nicholas, and it's classified as a frigate. Correct. What does that mean? How big was it? What was the ship like? The Oliver Hazard Perry class ships, they've all been decommissioned. But at the point in time, this thing is 553 feet long. It was about 45, 47 feet wide. And uh, it was the smallest warship that the Navy had. We were designed initially for anti-submarine warfare, which is, you know, us trying to find subs, obviously. And that was specifically my job. I was a sonar technician. So I hunted, tracked subs, classify subs, torpedoes, things of that sort. 
I was in charge of the torpedo tubes, as a matter of fact, for a little while. That was that was kind of fun. But it was a obviously this is even though it's a small ship in Navy standards, it's a pretty big ship though. So how many people are on the boat? When I first got there, the initial crew was something like two twenty something. There was about, you know, around there two twenty two thirty. Uh, by the time I left, oh god, we we desperately needed people. We were so undermanned that we were busting our asses every day and every night. But the cool thing about being on a ship, especially, I mean, I know it's like that for military and police and things of that sort. You know, there's that brotherhood that they they talk about. They usually stick fresh officers, JOs, like ensigns and and uh, Lieutenant JGs and lieutenants on the frigates and stuff so they can learn their stuff and then they can start moving up to bigger ships as, you know, if they're on their way to leading a vessel. Everyone was real cool with each other. The, the atmosphere was cool. I mean, everyone was there to do their job and work and we'd hang out and that was pretty much it. There weren't testosterone pumped usually about halfway through a deployment, but, you know, we're all just eager to go home. And that was about as far as I got, really. All right. So the ship was designed primarily for anti-submarine warfare. But during this time, when this event happened, you were in the Indian Ocean. Yes. Uh, international waters just west of the Seychelles, which mm-hmm. uh, for people not familiar, that's a group of like over 100 islands. And that's several hundred miles east and south of Somalia, uh, which is a coastal country in Africa. Which is a uh, very, very big piracy action going on over there it seems like that's whenever we hear pirates or pirates being in the news it always it's always somalian pirates mm. I, and i assume that's because the country is in disarray and is overrun with poverty and it's just a way to make quick money it's people are it's to the point where people are being shanghaied into it so you really didn't have a choice sometimes and that's one of the reasons that the USS Nicholas was in the area. You were running counter piracy operations. Yes, that and there was more to it. So Africa Partnership Station was due to the fact that, that Somalia, the piracy has gotten so bad. That's when they're starting to board cruise liners and things of that sort. So we did African Partnership Station, which is where we went over there and we started to help train their military in counter piracy operations as well. And the U.S. and NATO was funding a majority of it. So not just counter piracy ops, but we were doing a lot of training too. We had like whole groups on our ship that were sleeping, you know, in the same birthings as us, eating with us, you know, trying to learn and everything, but they weren't usually around the ship. They're mainly speaking to the security groups and boarding teams. I understand you guys had like somebody was watching all the time around the clock for yes. any activity anywhere around the ship. How did you track that or what was the watch like? We had our forward and aft lookouts. You know, we had our bosun mates or our undes. Those guys were out there with night vision goggles and binoculars and the sound powered phones, which I guess now would be a good time to explain sound powered phones. I kind of have to equate it to like using a can with a string, except, okay, so there was a little plate that sat on your chest and it had a little thing that went around your neck and connected to the plate was a set of headphones and there was a little arm with a little with a hinge on it and at the end was a microphone with a button on top of it that swiveled as well so you would push the button and your voice would be able to travel through the line and to whomever else it was dialed to and we could hear it like that the good thing about it was it didn't require batteries it didn't require anything you just plugged into the ship you screwed it down in there and you were immediately you know, able to do sound checks and talk to people. So we had those guys out there, but we also had our bridge crew and our gunner, our gun watches. We had a mounted 50 cal in the front, 50 caliber, big, beautiful automatic weapons. If you've ever seen Rambo, I think it was like not the last one, but the one connected to the, it was the gun connected to the truck on a swivel. And the thing was just, ah, those humans should be fired at with that thing. It's massive. So we had two in the front on either side. We had two midships, which was, you know, halfway through the ship, which is where I was. And then we had a man in the back with a, it was a portable gun, but it, it fired the same caliber bullet as a, a 50 caliber. Okay. And the back is what is called the flight deck? Correct. It was on the flight deck. So you were kind of in the middle of the ship. Yes. I was, I was up a story too. I was on the O2 level. During the day, I stood under the mast, but the guns were directly next to the mast. So I'm, I'm, halfway up the ship 
Okay. And I'm one story up. And this happened at nighttime. It, it was just after midnight. What were you, how were you outfitted as far as what you were wearing at the time? It was Africa. So we were in a coveralls. We were usually in coveralls out to sea anyway. You know, the super sweet janitor out, you know, outfit, big, poofy, one big zipper. It was great if you had to pee because there's a zipper from the bottom too. And they're just bagging. They're blue and they're nice. And we had that. We had our flak jackets on. We had a helmet. Uh, we had walkie talkies. And we were using the walkie talkies up until the event that we needed to use our sound powered phones. And then, um, we had we checked out night vision goggles at night. I don't think we had them up during the day because those things are expensive as hell. Well, you wouldn't need them during the day, right? Well, naturally. I mean, I, I just figured you know somebody would hang them up. That's kind of something that would happen. And is a flak jacket? How does it compare to something like a bulletproof vest? Well, or is it anything like that at all? From what I understand, I actually can't honestly answer this for you because my flak jackets were just flak jackets. We didn't even have the inserts. So it was just like a really heavy vest. I can tell you this though. My, my 50 cows, the 50 cows were plated. So on either side, it swiveled in the middle, but it was set up on a stand. So it's set up on a tripod mounted to the, to the deck. And then there's plates in front of the legs. There's three of them in front of the legs, which protect my legs to my waist, roughly like my upper thigh, my waist. I'm not very tall. These are just not very big, big plates, but they're heavy as shit. And then you have two on either side of the, the barrel. So you can see the sights and then there's plates on either side and you have this section in between that you can look as you're swimming it around and everything. So if it's nighttime and the opposition sees fire coming from your spot, if mm -hmm. they fire back at that, chances are they're going to hit metal rather than hitting you. Unless they get lucky or unless they're really uh, proficient. Right. What we're going to talk about, like I said, it was just after midnight, and it was completely dark, but there was a full moon. Yes. And radar picked up activity. I was on the midwatch, which starts at 10 p.m., and it ends at 2. And we usually, you know, relieve each other about a half hour early, sometime around that. I mean, we did on my ship. Uh, so, you know, like 9.30 to 1.30 was really the watch. And I was about to get off watch since, you know, it just happened after midnight. That day was April 1st. So there's that. I, you know, I went around trying to tell the story and nobody believed me. So just after midnight, I'm about to get off watch. And my ship was about to pull in Reunion or Seychelles or Mauritius. But I'm, I spoke to one of my shipmates and we're pretty sure it's Seychelles. So what ends up happening is radar reports that something was coming towards us off the starboard bow starboard being right port being left so something's coming off our starboard bow which is mount 55 which is where i stood and i'm looking with the night vision goggles and i kind of see it coming in they tell us to switch to um sound powered phones the issue with the sound powered phones is they don't work with the helmet on so i got to take my helmet off and then i got these big ass headphones on and i'm you know everyone's quiet on the line we're just receiving information that incoming target split into two and one had gone forward, one had gone aft, and they circled us. Well, I saw the one coming after us that went forward, you know, so it turned in my direction left. I unplugged my phones and I ran to the other side to mount five six. And as I'm going to plug them in, I see this skiff go around back towards port. So I think that he went around front, turned around, and went back around. I unplug my phones, I plug them back in on starboard side. And it comes, <laughs> I see this object come around again and it sits by my flight deck and it's just sitting there. It's quiet, dead quiet, except for my headphones. I actually had my iPod in at that point in time. I didn't even think to rip them, you know, my headphones out. So they're sitting there and it was probably like a couple minutes and I was, I was, it was real quiet. I'd say it was <laughs> easily the longest couple minutes i've ever had i taken my night vision goggles off in the event that i had to fire i don't want to blind myself i've never shot them with you know shot with night vision goggles on it's pitch black the the moon was out the moon was full it was behind my ship so these guys are sitting in the shadow of my ship and it, it's bright if you've never seen the moon at sea it's just it's it's beautiful it's the most illuminating thing but they're in my shadow and it's pitch black in that shadow 
I'm kind of squinting, trying to see what's going on. Hopefully they're not doing anything crazy. And I see them spray the flight deck. I don't know why they sprayed the flight deck. I didn't know exactly why at that time, I should say. But my buddy Schoonmaker was back there. And he was the one on the, the 240. He had the M240 with him. When you say spray the flight deck, you're talking mm-hmm. about firing a weapon yes. at the flight deck. Yeah, he, he had it. He just held it, squeezed the trigger and, you know, sprayed from one side to the other. I didn't know what happened to Schoonmaker. So I screamed for him over, you know, over the sound power phones. I called. I said, Schoon. And he didn't answer. So I pulled the trigger and I started shooting back. You know, you know, by the law, I had inherent right to self-defense, defense of others, and defense of federal property, and yada, 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 yada. So you didn't have to contact a supervisor or something saying, hey, is it okay to return fire? He was on the line with us, but when I did not hear him, I actually had the right to go ahead and do what I did. I called for him. I shot. Well, m- whatever they were shooting at wasn't as important. My gun is huge, and it's loud. So they started shooting back at me. That's what started, you know, we had a little volley between us. Uh, we were all trained to shoot the 50 cal in three to five round bursts. And it sounds, I don't know, it's kind of, it seems vulgar. So three rounds, when you squeeze the trigger, it's die motherfucker. And that's, doo, doo, doo. and then die motherfucker die is five rounds. Die motherfucker die. And that's how it shoots. Doo, 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 doo. So that's how I was shooting. And the the issue was it was so dark. I had to wait until I was being shot at to even see where I was shooting because they were floating around here and there and everywhere. So they're kind of bobbing. They're really low to the water. So we're going back and forth. Now, Schoonmaker was fine for anybody that might be worried. Schoonmaker was just fine. Apparently, he had taken his sound-powered phones off because the cord didn't reach the other side of the ship. I didn't know that, obviously, and what's even funnier is the reason why they even sprayed their shot at the flight deck was because my buddy Lenny, he gets up, he walked across the flight deck and he was trying to get in the ship, but someone on the other side was holding it down because they thought that we had been boarded. On the 1MC, our captain got on. The 1MC is basically like an intercom throughout the ship and you can direct where you want the sound to go. So he cut it from the outside for them to, you know, for him to project his voice saying, hey, there's pirates. He didn't want everyone, you know, us on the outside to know. So he had it only on the inside. So he made the announcement that pirates were there. My buddy gets up because on, on his sound powered phones, he said, get your ass inside. He got up, walked across the flight deck, tried to get in, couldn't get, walked back across. I guess that's when they saw him. Maybe that's when they saw Schoonmaker and that's when they shot. We're retiring fire back and forth. Again, I'm doing three to five round bursts. I say that because I let off of the trigger at one point and I saw my plate to my left, the one that's mounted to the gun, flash. So they, these guys are, I mean, AK-47s, you just hold the trigger down, the bullets are going everywhere. So these guys are close. And the, just to get a picture of the, the, the boat that they were in, I think you called it a skiff. This is a small boat, right? Like maybe 20, 30 feet, or was it even that big? I don't remember the length of it, honestly. It was, it wasn't very big. The three men, the three people were on this skiff. They seemed like they had enough room, but I can see it being extremely comfortable. They had five 55 gallon drums of fuel in this thing. Uh, How we didn't hit them is a miracle because honestly, I don't know how I would feel if I had ignited a barrel and blown people up. Not to mention we were, they were close to us. We're firing back and forth. I honestly do not. I don't know how long this firefight went between the two of us. I know Mark was fine. And eventually it got to the point where somebody kicked that engine and they took off. Well, we hadn't really had a good solid plan for if, when pirates came and actually attacked us at that point in time. So we only had one engine online. They were way faster than us at that point in time. We took off after them. I kind of equated to like the start, you know, the Star Trek Enterprise. It was, it was cool. We were trying to speed up after them. And then we hit warp drive as soon as our second engine got online. And we were just taking off after these guys. We're following them on radar. And they, they, they were walking away from us. They're opening up from us pretty, pretty well. So we catch up to them. 
we had to get permission. Our CEO had contacted whomever they contact. I, I <laughs> That's not my game. They contacted whomever to say, hey, look, we already got in a gunfight. Things are started here. And so we were waiting for permission to come back to be boarded. But we were in an area where our, our radio was just so spotty. As we catch up to these guys, you see one of them standing up and he's waving his hands. We have our spotlight on these guys and we got all everything on them. And one of them's waving their hands and the other two are using barrels to just ditch or uh, buckets to ditch water. These guys are sinking and they're sinking fast. So that's that's why you were able to catch up to them. Essentially, yes, we were catching them. So it took it took a little while before we were able to actually get the go ahead to board them. And how do you even do that? Do you send a small boat mm -hmm. toward them or? Okay. So we, what's okay. the process with that? We have a, uh, there's a team called VBSS, Visit, Board, Search, and Seizure. And they get on a RIB, which stands for Rigid Hole Inflatable Boat. You know those movies, those those action movies where they're in like this inflatable looking thing, but it's hauling balls through the water and it's just packed down full of dudes. That's exactly it. Uh, we got VBSS under the under the the rib, and we kept the rib on the other side of them, so that way they were able to be lowered down without any incidents. Any you know maybe they're going to try to do something before the VBSS got there and take I don't know. So all I know is I manned my gun. I didn't move from my position after that. So after we caught up, one was waving their hands, the other two are ditching water, and as soon as we catch up to them, one of them takes the mag light. It was a mini mag light, you know, those, uh, those, those big ass flashlights that cops have. He had, they had a mini, you know, the little small ones. Those things are awesome, by the way. Awesome. I love those mag lights. Everyone had our night vision goggles on and we're just watching these guys, but you couldn't see shit because of that flashlight, the way he held it. But you could see splashes on either side of the skiff. So they basically knew, that, you know, thanks to the Geneva convention, we're saved. So we're not going to drown, but. We got stuff on here that we need to get rid of. So they're basically tossing weapons. They tossed everything off to the side that they still had on board. And that included radio equipment. So the time comes, VBSS comes around the corner. They pick these guys up. They bring them back on board. There was so much that happened after that. And I was, I was watching these guys. I had the captain come up talking to me. XO, you know, they're attaboying me. I was getting slapped on the back. I'm like, this is, I don't, I don't know what the hell to think of all this. My adrenaline was through the roof. Eventually I got relieved from my watch. I did see them get boarded. I did see them being detained and I did see them coming back. After that, somebody came up and finally said, all right, you know, go to bed. I said, Roger that I will. So I go to bed. I wake up. It's like seven seven something in the morning They're, they told me to go ahead and just sleep so i wake up and it's like seven something we're supposed to be pulling in at eight but i wake up to the one mc saying hey we just found their mother skiff and we're boarding them now i don't know how many other people do this but i like to plan my weekly meals maybe i'm just weird but i like quick and easy that's just one of the benefits you can get with cook unity Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV and her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com/what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com/what. 
Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. There were another two pirates. Those guys were all in, uh, those two were teams. I don't know how we got them. Again, I was knocked out, so... We got them. That's all I know. After you took these three guys, the three initial attackers off the boat, I read that that you sunk their ship or blew it up. How, what's the process on that? So after we got them, we, we got them back on board, and we're supposed to tow the boat at that point in time. We circled it for a little bit, and we got on what's called the 25 Mike Mike, 25 millimeter, and we fired at the thing, and it blew up, and it was really cool <laughs> like, it was really really cool like this big ass fireball again it's midnight well at this point in time it was probably like two three o'clock in the morning but it's pitch black minus the full moon this skiff and that fireball and it was badass it didn't make a noise we couldn't film it i, I guess we we're far away enough to where it didn't make a noise I, I don't remember a noise maybe my ears weren't i don't know but it didn't make a noise but i felt the heat hit and that was i don't know i was blown away by that did it blow up so spectacularly because of the tanks of fuel? Yes, on there? that's exactly where they were aiming was all the fuel. And then we were supposed to circle it until the fire went out. But we ended up circling it for a couple hours. Once it died down a good, a good amount, that's when we were able to leave after the mother skiff. By that time, they'd come on board. We had a translator on board and they were interrogating these guys. And they were telling us some crazy stuff. So here's one of the facts that I found out about it is that they had an RPG with them. And one of them had an uh, RPG hoisted up on his shoulder and he was about to fire it. But the person who had the AK-47 was the newest one on that skiff. So when I guess he got nervous and he started firing once he saw the silhouettes of my two buddies on the flight deck. And when I opened up due to the fact that they didn't expect me, they didn't see me at all. When I opened up, I scared the guy and he dropped the RPG in the water. An RPG is rocket propelled grenade. A rocket propelled grenade. Correct. It is a ridiculously overpowered way to just blow things up. It's extremely destructive. If that thing hits a ship, we would have been done. If it hit us anywhere, if it hit us in the flight deck, we have fuel tanks back there. The oil lab is back there where they maintain and monitor the oil in the engine. Not to mention my equipment was back there and that stuff's flammable. If they hit us in the middle of the ship, there's a tank there. Not to mention that's where all our torpedoes were. And if they hit us in the front, that's where our hazmat locker was, our hazardous material locker. So if we got hit, we were done. It sounds like your ship would fall into the category of a target-rich environment. <laughs> you could say that. You know what? Uh, they used to call us torp sponges. So... <laughs> So we have something that if we have an HVU, a high value unit, like a carrier's rolling through and we're on a mission and out of nowhere, a torpedo comes and there's no, no way to, uh, you know, to chase it off using torpedo uh, deterrence. We got to jump in front of it. How did you know that they had an RPG if they dropped it in the water? 
they told on themselves. They they all got split up and they were sat down and the interrogator went through and and questioned them and I guess that new guy gave up everything. Because not only did they tell it to that or to tell it to the translator and and uh, our guys, but they told that to the FBI. But that's later on. The bottom line is these guys were just run-of-the-mill pirates with high-powered weapons, and they were they. Mm-hmm. It was dark. They were thinking that you were just some kind of a merchant, a big merchant vessel or something that was just going to give up easily. Not they didn't even realize that this was a U.S. warship they were attacking. I guess not. If they had known that it was a U.S. warship, they might have, uh, I don't know, gotten caught just so they could have uh, not be pirates. Maybe there's that. I've considered that, but that's kind of a a hindsight, I guess. So the next day you found their mothership and... We got those two on board. Those those five of them were split up in the way that they were detained. So we had the three on one side of the ship. We had two on the other side of the ship. And uh, while I'm still standing my watch, I see these guys daily. So I'm still on the, you know, the second deck looking down. I see these guys every day. These guys are the guys. These are the guys that try to kill me. And how are they detained? Are they just like handcuffed to a rail or something? Or is there like a cell or something that you keep them in? No, they were treated very well because, you know, the whole Geneva Convention, because if, if we pulled into port and they said anything Anyway, that could throw their case out just about, you know, they're, they're not supposed to be mistreated and I'm cool with that. I understand maybe they're in dire situations. Maybe they'd all been Shanghai. Maybe they just wanted a, a more stable environment and hell a U.S. federal prison is, could be more stable than the way Somalia is run. So I understand and that's fine. They weren't like zip tied every day. They had cots. They were able to to do whatever. They were able to exercise every day. They were able to pray. You know, they, they're they're Muslim. They were able to pray. They were treated fairly, and, and it's just crazy knowing those are my attackers, and I, I get to see them every day. They got three cots in the cot. So you've got five Somali men under arrest in U.S. custody. Mm-hmm. What are the options? What do you do with these guys? Africa Partnership Station. Again, like I said, it was designed so that way Eastern African countries could jail and prosecute and, you know, have the supplies to detain these people. And I guess at some point in time, they asked for more money. They were denied said money. And they said that, you know, we can go ahead and fuck ourselves and uh, we have to take them. The fact of the matter is I couldn't pull into port with my ship, excuse me, USS Nicholas could not pull into port with these detainees. If we're pulling in a friendly country, we can't pull in with these guys. So we had to wait until the FBI or, or the, the, the higher ups could come up with an idea of what to do with these guys. So that means we we're out to sea for an extra week or two, which let me explain that got kind of rough. The longest my ship was ever out to sea was from the, the voyage from Virginia to wherever we were going. So across the Atlantic and the reason being you have to go up and around. If you make a beeline, if a U.S. naval ship or any naval ship makes a beeline from one country next to the to the next, it's considered an act of war. So no matter where you're going, you kind of have to make a roundabout voyage to get there. So that way your approach is always not a surprise. It's you're kind of announcing yourself sort of. Correct. That, that's usually the longest. As soon as we get to port, we'd go back out to sea for maybe I'd say max four days at that point in time. My ship couldn't handle a lot of stores past that. I mean, we can only, we weren't as efficient as something as big as like a carrier is. Of course, those things can just stay out to sea. But as far as we go, we need to pull in every once in a while. We need to get fuel. We need to get food, stores, mail. So you were waiting out at sea all this time for the FBI to come. Mm-hmm. What ended up happening is we were out there for so long. We were out for like another week or two. And Usually in the Navy, you get two entrees per meal. You get, you know, blah, 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 blah. So chow, it eventually got to the point where we couldn't, we weren't getting any food. We weren't getting stores yet. We had to start like calling out, asking the superiors, hey man, like when are we going to be able to get stores? When are we going to be able to get, we have nothing. We ran out of food in the ship store. I mean, I've heard it's equivalent to, to prison in, in the sense that like 
when you're on the ship out to sea, you're, you're stuck where you are. You're confined to where you are. You're wearing a uniform. You know everybody. And uh, you have a ship store you could buy stuff at. So you can even buy cigarettes there. I don't know if they still do that, but you know you could buy sh- cigarettes there. You're not going anywhere. You're out to sea. You're in the middle of the ocean. Where are you going to go? So we ran out of everything. I'm talking like cup noodles, candy, cigarettes were running out. So a sister ship that was running operations in the area, it was a, a landing craft, came up and and they had to come and they had to bring us stuff they were like chucking they were throwing us stuff from the ship store it, it it was it was crazy we ran out of entrees we got to one entree and we ran out of rice which is unheard of finally the fbi uh fbi was able to come via helicopter and they were they scooped these guys up and away they went and we proceeded to finally go to our next port how long after they were picked up did the court case actually begin? And the court case was in the U.S., right? Correct. They were taken back to Virginia. And so it was a federal case. After we were done with the deployment, we pulled back in and NCIS came on board. And I, I have to say, NCIS, they were they were just terrifying people to be around. They were so matter of fact. There was no joking with these guys. The TV show doesn't even explain it. These guys were balls to the wall, all information. What happened? you know, what happened with this? What happened with that? Tell me about this. Okay. Well, that sounds wrong. Tell me about it again. I'm like, Jesus, dude, like (laughs) like, these guys are just nuts to be around. So they started doing their investigation on the ship and I had to talk to them every day for, I can't even explain. I don't even remember how long they were taking ships from my vantage point. They also climbed the mast and lo and behold, there was a hole in the mast. They had shot directly above my head. If it were at a lower angle, they would have they would have shot between the plates and hit me. It was crazy. Apparently, it was directly over me. So we go to court. Uh, we look like a living Norman Rockwell painting. There's just a bunch of sailors in uniform in a dimly lit room, waiting in the back. I was I was very nervous about the trial because this was a, a federal thing, and I I don't know I don't know how to feel. I, I've never been to court before, and here are all these people and they're looking to, for me, my testimony is eventually going to put these guys, you know, in prison. So there's a bunch of us, there's like a dozen of us or so, anyone who was involved in the whole thing. And we're all there in this back room. I remember the first day, I didn't testify the first day, but I just, you know, people were leaving the room one at a time. They're being called in and bam, 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 they're gone. The next thing I remember about the, the trial is having to testify. And it was fucking terrifying in this courtroom. I, you got this jury. There's like mad people in it, if I recall correctly. And there are these five guys sitting on the bench. And what I thought was really interesting is one of the NCIS agents that questioned me when the ship pulled in was presenting all this information and questioning me on the stand. When, when, when we had gone through the whole investigation, once they got back, they took the pictures. I signed and dated this CD and they took it and they sealed it in front of me. And it wasn't until that day in trial months and months later that he walks up and he just hands me the CD. And they said, we want you to open that. And we want you to put it in such and such. I was like, all right, I pull it out. They said, is that your signature? I said, yep. They said, is that your handwriting? I said, yeah, that's my handwriting. And uh, we went ahead and and put it to disc and it shows a 360 view of where I'm standing. I could, you could look up, down, left, right. It was crazy. So you look all around this place. They said, is that your view? I said, yes. And then I had to point to those guys. They said, do you recognize them? I said, yeah, I recognize them because these are the guys that were detained once, you know, I had visually seen them. I'd seen them every day for a while. So I pointed at them. They thanked me for my testimony and I was out the door. Okay. So all five of them were convicted. Mm -hmm. And this is like, like a milestone. This was the first piracy trial conviction in the U.S. Mm-hmm. since like 1820. 1820, almost 200 years. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Five Somali men are facing life in prison after being convicted of piracy following an attack on a U.S. Navy ship. Prosecutors claim the men, all in their mid-twenties, attacked the USS Nicholas after mistaking it for a merchant vessel. The court's verdict is the first in a piracy case in America in nearly 200 years. They were arrested in April in waters near Djibouti. 
The men's lawyers say they were fishermen who'd been forced by criminals to attack the vessel. One of the accused told investigators he'd been promised $30,000 for a successful mission. The trial took place in the town of Norfolk, in the U.S. state of Virginia, one of the largest naval bases in the world and home port to the American ship involved. There was a statement from the U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia, and his name is Neil McBride, and he made a statement after the conviction. I'm just going to read this. Today marks the first jury conviction of piracy in more than 190 years, said U.S. Attorney McBride. These five Somali pirates were convicted of an armed assault on the high seas against what they thought was a merchant vessel, but turned out to be a U.S. Navy frigate engaged in counter-piracy operations off the Horn of Africa. Modern-day pirates not only threaten human lives, but also disrupt international commerce by extorting hundreds of millions of dollars in ransom payments. Today's conviction demonstrates that armed attacks on U.S. flagged vessels are crimes against the international community and that pirates will face severe consequences in U.S. courts. And that's what they faced. What was their sentence? It was, yeah, multiple life sentences, pretty much. So they're not getting out anytime. No. And honestly, I I don't know. You know, I'm still kind of up in the air about it. I think they learned their lesson at this point in time. It's been, what, 11 years? I mean, there's no real lesson to, to learn besides stop shooting at people and shit. But, <laughs> like, it sucks. It sucks. I mean, these guys are, I don't know. I don't know. Plus, they're not even in their own country. It's it, They need a translator for everything that they do. They have to stick together now. I, these are all things that I've kind of thought of, and, and it's it sucks. Yeah, that's what I was. One of the things I was wondering about is, it was your testimony that sent these mm-hmm. men to prison for life. I mean, obviously, it's it was their behavior that sent them there. But do you feel any guilt about that at all, or any regret, or anything? It's. I just. I think it sucks. It kind of. It, it fucked me up at first. I'm not gonna lie. It really fucked me up at first because I was like, oh my god, it's it's. I wasn't I wasn't the only one who saw what happened. And when I fired, I fired to protect my shipmate. We had done nothing wrong. We were just there. I'm not gonna do the whole, you know, they started it thing again because this is, you know, this is more serious when we're talking about it this time. But honestly, like, fuck man, they shot at us. And then not to mention, if I hadn't pulled the trigger, would they actually would they have hit us with the RPG? Maybe they recognized that we were military and we're going to try to blow us the fuck up and get out of dodge i mean that could have been a thought on their mind otherwise why would you blow up the merchant ship that you're looking at so you're you're actually (laughs) you're actually pushing questions that i hadn't thought of at this point but well there's no reason to you don't have any reason to feel guilty but the thing is sometimes when you go through a situation like this you have feelings of Mm -hmm. i'm not going to say guilt because you're not guilty of anything but you know, you feel bad that these guys are going to be in prison. And like you said, they may have been mm-hmm. forced into doing this, but they've, they forced you to yeah. defend yourself. Yeah. Well. That again, that's, that's, that's mostly why I don't feel bad. Cause honestly, what would have happened if I didn't either these five guys went to prison or they would have blown up 180 of us and we would have died out right there. So I had a kid at that point in time. It's, I have to go to work. Not to mention my boy Schoon. He was in the back. I thought they shot Schoon. I got it. No, they're not going to do that. They're not going to get anybody else on my ship. I mean, it's it's like I said, it's just a real tight community between all of us. And I've been working with all these. I was on my ship for six and a half years. That's a long ass time. I'd seen like two full shift changes of people come around that ship. I knew all these guys. These are all my shipmates. And that's a that's a lasting thing. You threaten one man. <laughs> I got to say, even if it, even if it was. The way it was, it was still a fair fight. There was two of us shooting. The way that we were positioned, we had three guns, but the third gun couldn't even reach them. Again, these are all things that uh, I never really thought about <laughs> until you ask. But I used to say happy anniversary to Mark Schoon, my buddy Schoon in the back, in the uh, that was on the flight deck. 
every April 1st, I would say happy anniversary to him until he stopped saying it back to me. And I finally understood that that messed with him. Now, I, I, I know how to minimize things. And I've done that whole my whole life. I haven't lived like the easiest life, but I know how to minimize. So at some point in time, I said, I might, I might be messing with him unintentionally by saying happy anniversary to him. So I stopped. Now, you know, I had to go talk to a couple people because I fired my weapon at somebody. You know, I was fine. And I was, I was very, I was very adamant about, no, there's no PTSD involved. Well, nine years later, I was sitting with my kid and he's like, dad, do you want to play Call of Duty? I said, sure, man. He throws Call of Duty on. As soon as the game starts, there I heard gunfire and I couldn't tell where I was from. Now, mind you, this is nine years. I love action movies. I'm a huge movie buff. Nothing ever, ever made me feel the way it did for that one second where I heard gunfire and I didn't know where it was coming from. I paused the game. I told my kid, I'll be right back. I got to go. Okay, I'll be back. And I started shaking really bad. Uh, It was like, it was difficult to walk. And I walked to where I was somewhere quiet. And I started bawling uncontrollably. I I could not stop. Uh, I had this, uh, I thought I was going to die. I had a horrible panic attack. I had to go speak or I started, you know, I had really shitty Wi-Fi, man. I'm living, I'm talking like uh, bumfucked Egypt, Texas. So I'm trying to get a hold of whoever I can. I'm trying to get a hold of this veterans hotline. And my, my Wi-Fi is so spotty. And eventually I think I got a hold of like a suicide prevention line because I, I had to talk to somebody. I didn't know what was going on with myself. And finally I got to talk to somebody and I was able to calm down and I was able to realize I'm safe. And the the whole reason why I brought that up is because you never know what your, your brain is going to do to you. Dude, it took nine years for that to happen. So I suggest to anybody, if something traumatic happened, talk to somebody. Cause you never know when it's going to kick in. I, I, like I said, I start, I, I got a hold of Mark. I said, man, what the fuck, dude? I said, what is happening to me right now? And he was like, bro, that's it. <laughs> he said, your brain just clicked and it took that one thing nine years later. So talk to somebody. It's absolutely worth it. I know everybody that gets on here says something about it, but it's got to be reiterated. And and somebody wants to put it into perspective for me. They said, I was talking to my, my best friend's little brother. He was in the army. He saw some horrible shit. I was like, dude, that, you know, what I went through was bad. I was like, but you're sucked way worse. He said, no, dude. He said, listen to me. He said, um, Sure, one thing might be worse than the other, but it still sucks. It's all relative. It doesn't matter. You can't really compare trauma to people because you don't know how people are going to take trauma. So you got to talk to somebody. Save your own self. That's a perfect example of you need to talk to somebody even though you don't think anything. Oh, yeah. You don't think you've been affected by it. Because you you didn't even realize that how it affected oh, you. Oh yeah, it was. I was. I mean, shit. I'd heard gunshots since then. I mean, I live in Texas. I mean, but it was. I don't know what it was. It was just that one specific. It might have been the AK round. I mean, my kids played this game before in front of me. I've watched him play. I've played it with him. It's just that one day. Well, you were out on a boat. I know you were on a a, a warship, but you certainly weren't expecting to exchange fire or no be in conditions like that <laughs> not at all it could happen to anybody anywhere anytime i mean i did speak to somebody eventually i went recruiting which was a horrible horrible idea if, if you're listening to me if you're in the military and you hear this don't go recruiting if you don't have to boy you need some mental fortitude for that but uh i was speaking to a therapist for a little bit and she was really cool she was really cool she didn't bullshit me at all i guess she had military in her family and some brothers so when she met me, she knew exactly how to handle my bullshit. I understand that for your part in this situation, you got a medal. Absolutely. So the morning that's still that April 1st, we woke up as we were picking up the other two 
uh, in the mother skiff, myself and Schoonmaker got called up to the pilot house, up to the bridge. And the captain was up there and he was up there with command master chief. And they were so cool. They were like, man, you guys, that was a dangerous thing. You guys did a great job. And they gave us a NAM, which is a Navy, uh, Marine Corps achievement medal or NAM for short. And, uh, they gave us a spot NAM. Like, <laughs> I guess after the gunfight was over, the CO went and did whatever. And then on the spot, he just typed this award up and sent it in for authorization and bam, we got it within hours. And it was cool. I was, you know, they have a, a little mock-up one that you get. It has like a binder clip on it that they just put on your coveralls and the metal hangs and you get to walk around the ship for it, but you got to bring it back eventually. And they hand you a real one. And uh, yeah, that was, that was awesome. Well, it was well-deserved. I thank you. I've got one final question and this right. may be something that, that some of the listeners might be wondering about. Mm -hmm. You said when this whole thing started that you had your, iPod in your your earphones. Yes, I did. What were you listening to? I'll never forget. I was listening to Deftones. That's my favorite band. And that was during the gunfight, which Adrenaline, it was their first album. Come on. Oh my God. Beautiful music. Very aggressive though. I don't know if somebody, if everybody's going to like it, but, but as we took off and we started to chase them, uh, my adrenaline was pumping. I knew that it was going to take a little bit because the second engine was barely kicking on. And I <laughs> I switched my iPod over to Eminem because the re-up album had just came out. It's a great album. <laughs> I was trying to keep myself in the mood. It was also like, you know, one o'clock in the morning. I'm dog ass tired and I just got in a gunfight. <laughs> so you had uh, you were in a gunfight and you had kind of your own soundtrack going the whole time. Right. It was awesome. It was awesome. The Navy, uh, even through, even with that and other things that happened, the Navy was a lot of fun. I did spent 11 years in the Navy. Uh, I don't regret any of it. I loved it. I've been to over, I'd say like, I've been to 44, 45 countries on three other continents. It was awesome. It was awesome. I've seen some cool shit. Uh, I've traveled to some great places. I went, I went through the Panama Canal. That was awesome. Like I went, Great white shark diving in South Africa. You, you can't beat stuff like that. The Navy was great. And I'm fourth generation military. I've heard these stories all day. If anybody's interested, I really suggest joining the Navy. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for your service. Thank you. I appreciate that. I have a few things I want to tell you about before we get to this week's listener story. First up, I've had a little issue with Instagram lately. My Instagram account is what was that like? No spaces. And if you follow me there, you get a DM from me asking if you have any crazy stories that might work for the podcast. And for the most part, this works great. But every once in a while, Instagram sees me sending out all those DMs and their computers think it might be spam or something. So for a day or two, I can't send any DMs. So there are a few people who followed me and didn't get a DM from me as promised. And I hate that, but unfortunately there's not much I can do about it. But I'm still interested in hearing your story to see if it's a good fit for the show. You can just go to the website and click where it says submit your story, and I read and reply to every one of those. Do you use Reddit? I'm talking about the hugely popular site at reddit.com. That's R-E-D-D-I-T dot com. I love Reddit, and I'm on there pretty regularly, and there's actually a subreddit for this podcast. If you'd like to join it, the sub is r slash what was that like with no spaces. And if you'd like to get this podcast without any ads, as well as the exclusive bonus episodes featuring actual 911 emergency calls, you can do that by becoming a patron for just $5 a month. Full details are at whatwasthatlike.com slash support. I had an interesting thing happen recently. Or I should say my wife had an interesting thing happen. Her car was struck by lightning. Fortunately, she wasn't in it at the time. She had just parked it about 10 minutes earlier, and there was one of those huge lightning strikes, super loud. We have this pretty regularly here in Florida in the summertime. And she discovered that the passenger side mirror was destroyed and glass was all over the ground. A big chunk of concrete had been taken out of that parking spot. And there was a large tree limb that had come off a nearby tree and dented in the roof. And then she found out that a bunch of things didn't work. The air conditioning, the radio, door locks, you know, the electrical things. So she's without a car at the moment while all those things get fixed. 
I told her, just think, if you had actually been driving the car when this happened, you could have been a guest on the podcast. But it's an interesting story, anyway. And speaking of interesting stories, we now go to this week's listener story, which needs a trigger warning due to a first-hand account of domestic violence. Stay safe. I'll see you in two weeks. So my first relationship out of high school was abusive and I almost died. Very early on, he told me the typical, um, all my exes are crazy bit, and for no good reason, I just believed it. Occasionally, he would yell at me and scream if I couldn't hang out with him, and I justified that as being okay because I thought he was hurt and I felt like his actions weren't his choice. Obviously, this just got gradually worse. It went from yelling to throwing things to shoving and raising fist very quickly under a year's time. The time he almost killed me, we were house-sitting for my mother while she was on a trip for her birthday, and we had gotten into a nonviolent fight. I decided that I was going to sleep on the couch, and before I went to sleep, I texted a friend of mine the phrase, I don't think I'm cut out for romantic relationships. While I was asleep, he read that, and it sent him over the edge. There was a lockbox in the room, because my mom's house was a rental, and that's where she still kept the spare key. Lockboxes are sturdy, and they're solid metal and heavy. I had kind of woken up when he entered the room, and I had hardly looked at him when he threw this lockbox at my head. He was only a few feet from me, so it was pretty close range. I remember it as just a sudden white flash, and my body felt bad. I fell off the couch and started to crawl, and that's when he picked it up and hit me with it again. It was another white flash, and then my hearing was really muffled, and all I could hear was my heartbeat in my ears. That was my oh shit moment, because tunnel vision started kicking in, and my body felt like it was underwater. All I could think was, fuck, I'm hurt, I'm hurt, I have to get help. I somehow was able to crawl to the bathroom with my phone before he could catch me. I have cuts in my memory here, because I only remember shutting and locking the door. I don't actually remember grabbing my phone or anything else. While I was in the bathroom, I was really dizzy and it was hard to move. I don't know how long I was in there or how long he was outside of the door, but at some point I realized he was just pounding on the door um, and screaming to be let in. I finally came to the moment where I thought, okay, I have to call 911. I have to call for help. He's going to kill me. I'm going to die. I have to call for help. So I pick up my phone and I'm trying to dial, but the screen's black. And I'm really disorientated, but it's not working. And then I realized that the battery had been removed from my phone. So before he hit me, he had taken the battery out of my phone and then returned my phone to the same spot. So I couldn't call for help. I remember feeling sleepy and scared. When I finally felt my head, it was just this burning hot lump behind my ear. The swelling felt like it was as big as my hand, and I didn't know what to do, so I got into the bathtub, turned on the cold water, and I just sat there, pressing the lump on my head against the cold faucet, hoping it would help somehow. Eventually, I fell asleep, and he got in, but at that point, he was just doing this thing where he was crying and saying, oh my god, my life is ruined, my life is ruined, and he just kept saying that. I couldn't talk. I just felt dizzy and sick, and he was trying to get me to follow his fingers with his with my eyes, and I couldn't do it. The next day, I had work, and I was still really woozy and in pain. The girls at my job could see the swelling under my hair, and halfway through my shift, I went home and begged him to take me to urgent care. By that time, he had calmed down and was in the reconciliation phase, so he agreed. For some reason at the urgent care, they just 
let my boyfriend go in with me to see the doctor, despite putting down head injury on the check-in, so I had to lie to this doctor about what happened. The doctor looked at him and looked at me for a really long time before explaining that I had an internal contusion affecting my face, eye, and neck, and a temporal lobe concussion. He looked at me and told me that if my injury was just one inch forward, I would have had internal bleeding in my brain and died, and that I'm lucky I didn't. He told me to go to an ER immediately if my symptoms got worse, and that was it. So we went home, and I was okay enough at that time. A week later, he slammed that side of my head into a door frame repeatedly when I was trying to run from him during another violent incident. Another time after that, he almost killed us both in the car driving 90 miles an hour. And the abuse didn't really end until I was finally able to move without telling anyone where I was going to go. So not a a lot of time has passed, but he's completed schooling to be a social worker now and it terrifies me. I still have residual effects from the concussion, like brain fog and issues with facial blindness. The scariest thing for me is that he worked up to being that violent. I wasn't the only victim, and I think about what could happen to someone else all the time, especially because he's faced no repercussions. I also think about how many others like him there are.